Hello and welcome to volume 40, number 38 of Grapevine from the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. This is online version number 26, recorded on the 18th of September 2020. In this week's news, disappointment yet again with the Highway Agency's April Strait decision. A solid plan at last, however, for Hemsby's old Pontin site. And a novel but weird way of proposing marriage. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me from home is this week's newsreader, Disney. Plus, joining us online for the first time this week, Andy, with one of his weird Norfolk tales. As usual, though, the news is first, so cue Disney with the first batch. A bad decision. MPs to call for review of Acol Strait duelling delay. The region's MPs have reacted to the disappointing news that the Acol Strait will not be duelled for another decade, with some calling for a review and the breakup of the Highways Agency. The road between Acol and Great Yarmouth has not been included in the government's road investment strategy for 2020 to 2025. Campaigners and councillors have warned the next chance to push for the scheme will be 2030, as people living in the coastal town stress safety fears. It comes just 10 months after the Prime Minister pledged he would deliver the vital road project in the wake of several former government's broken promises to end the misery of drivers facing accidents and delays on the single carriageway route. And now Norfolk and Waveney's MPs have spoken out about the Highways England HE decision. Brandon Lewis, Conservative MP for Great Yarmouth, said, I have consistently championed the duelling of the Acle Strait and will continue to do so. The previous decision by the Labour government to downgrade the status of the road significantly set back these necessary improvements. This project is part of a wider infrastructure puzzle, which includes improving the internal traffic flow within the town and borough of Great Yarmouth. Which is why the millions of pounds allocated by this government to improve the A47 roundabouts and build the third river crossing is so important. He added, I am concerned by the timeline suggested by HE and will be contacting the Department of Transport, DIT, and HE to seek clarifications and restate the importance of the route. George Freeman, Conservative MP for Mid-Norfolk, said, This is a very bad decision by HE, which will seriously undermine the regeneration of Yarmouth and Lowestoft and hold back Norfolk and East Anglia's post-Covid-19 recovery. After 10 years of county lobbying for the A47, I think it's time to make HE more accountable to our region. Let's break it up and create an accountable Highways East. When the decision was announced, Peter Havlicek, Highways England programme lead for the A47, 
said the body was aware there had been a tremendous amount of lobbying for the changes. Jerome Mayhew, the Conservative MP for Broadland, said, I'm so frustrated by the approach that the Highways Agency has taken to duelling the Acle Strait. I have lobbied its inclusion with the investment scheme, highlighting the repeated fatal accidents that occur. So it is particularly disappointing that the importance of the scheme has not been recognised. Constituents of mine have been killed using this stretch of the road because its current layout is dangerous, encouraging frustrated drivers to overtake when it is not safe to do so. I will keep on pushing, but one challenge that we face is that the Highways Agency is a quango with very little political oversight. There is an increasing argument for responsibility for highways to be held by the County Council, which knows the real importance of local needs. Duncan Baker, North Norfolk Conservative MP, said, Like other Norfolk MPs, I have lobbied for this vital infrastructure upgrade to finally start since being elected. It is a dangerous stretch of road and has been for years, absolutely requiring duelling on safety grounds. Dueled, it will have significant benefits for Norfolk and its coastline. I will be raising this further and supporting my colleagues by asking for a review of the decision by the DFT and HE. And Liz Truss, Conservative MP for South West Norfolk, said, I want to see full duelling of the A47 and will continue to work with colleagues to secure this. However, Clive Lewis, Labour MP for Norwich South, said, People are angry at being let down, and I understand there will be a lot of people disappointed. A commitment has been made, and people have been consistently let down by government over this, and are unhappy about that. In these times, with COVID-19, people are more reliant on cars, and are having to use the Acle Strait, which is dangerous. And he added, on the other hand, I want to see more sustainable public transport and carbon emission reduction. That is the future. Norfolk has the opportunity to jump ahead of other areas of the country, which have had road building programmes, into a 21st century transport system, which means people don't have to use cars. Chloe Smith, Norwich North Conservative MP, added, This is disappointing. The campaign has to go on and even stronger, because we need this in Norfolk. Peter Aldous, Conservative MP for Waveney, said, An upgraded A47 is important to the Waveney and Lowest Doft economy, and it is vital that those improvement schemes for which funding has already been provided are built as quickly as possible. At the same time, a strong and compelling case should be presented to government for a dualed Acle Strait, construction of which should follow immediately after these projects have been completed. I'll work with Norfolk colleagues and representatives to help achieve this. Woman finds used needles and syringes strewn on beach. A woman has warmed beachgoers after finding syringes and needles washed up on the sand in Great Yarmouth. 
Lisa Marshall was walking with her husband on North Beach near Salisbury Road on Thursday morning, September the 17th, when she made the grim discovery. She found about 30 used needles and other drug paraphernalia all along the water's edge. She said some of the needles were full of blood. They were all exposed, sticking up out of the sand. I just think it's absolutely criminal. I take my children to that beach every day. It's just awful. We picked up as many as possible, but they were strewn all the way along. She also found a box used to dispose of used needles. In a statement, Great Yarmouth Borough Council said, Following reports, council staff have responded swiftly to remove and safely dispose of a number of needles, some loose and some in boxes, focused around the area of North Beach that's adjacent to the end of the promenade. They've also checked the wider shoreline and will check again tomorrow. People are reminded to continue to take care when using the beach and to report any further needles to the council via health at greatyarmouth.gov.uk or by phoning 01493 846 478. Almost £1 million for Norfolk to keep roofs over heads of homeless people. More than £1 million has been awarded to councils across Norfolk to try to help keep the homeless people who were housed due to coronavirus lockdown in accommodation. Councils scrambled to house the homeless population in temporary accommodation over the course of a weekend in March after lockdown restrictions were imposed. The move presented what the Chief Executive of Norwich's St Martin's Housing Trust described as a once-in-a-generation opportunity to put an end to rough sleeping. But there were concerns the momentum would be lost due to a lack of cash for ongoing support and people would end up back on the streets. However, the government has announced £91.5 million to help people in accommodation, of which just over £1 million is coming to Norfolk. The biggest amount is going to Great Yarmouth with just under £400,000 to help the Borough Council continue its work. Council leader Carl Smith said, As part of our community response to coronavirus, the Council made offers of temporary accommodation to 153 people who were rough sleepers or at risk of rough sleeping between March the 23rd and June the 30th as part of the Everyone In initiative. While we're pleased to say that some have transitioned into longer-term accommodation via the Council, its partners, or into tenancies in the private rented sector, a proportion remain in temporary accommodation and the Council is working with those individuals to support them into settled accommodation. We have actively sought funding to support the ongoing important work and welcome the announcement of additional national funding. Robert Jenrick, Housing Secretary, said the incredible national effort to support rough sleepers during the pandemic has protected many lives and is widely regarded as one of the most successful programmes of its kind in the world. I'm hugely grateful to all those involved. This funding 
will ensure that vulnerable people and rough sleepers continue to have safe accommodation and the care and support they need to ensure as few as possible return to the streets. What are current coronavirus rates across Norfolk? The majority of areas in Norfolk have seen a further fall in coronavirus infection rates according to new figures. Currently, the rate of infection is higher than 10 in Great Yarmouth, Breckland and Norwich areas known to be affected by the Bannum poultry outbreak. On Thursday, the boss of the poultry factory said it had installed safety measures which would rival the country's best hospitals after 127 workers contracted the virus. The business reopened its meat processing plant on Monday. Altogether, there were 75 new coronavirus cases across Norfolk in the week up to September the 13th. Breckland was the only area of Norfolk to see an increase after 18 new cases were reported in the seven days to September the 13th, having reported 16 cases the previous week. It is not the highest infection rate in Norfolk, which was recorded in Great Yarmouth at 13.1 per 100,000 people. The week before, the town had a rate of 17.1 per 100,000 people. Norwich reported the third highest rate in the country at 10.7 after 15 new cases up to September the 13th, down from 18 the previous week. The county's infection rate remains significantly lower than the rest of the country. The figures are for the seven days to September the 13th and expressed as the number of new cases per 100,000 people. Local beach named one of the best on earth. A beach, sometimes referred to as the region's best kept secret, has been named one of the finest in the world. Galston Beach has been listed in the top 10% of attractions across the globe in the 2020 TripAdvisor's Traveller's Choice Awards. Its wide white sands and long promenade received the certificate for consistently receiving positive traveller feedback, with winners chosen based on a full year of TripAdvisor reviews prior to any changes caused by the coronavirus pandemic. And on Tuesday, September the 14th, with temperatures climbing to 25 and the beach and promenade flocked with visitors enjoying the Indian summer, it was another five stars. Tracy Kelly, manager of Damascus Ice Cream, which sits in a row of businesses on the seafront, said, There's been no change and that's why people love it. Galston people are quite protective of this area and they love it the way it is. I can see it being more popular with all that's going on because a lot of people are choosing to stay at home for holidays. It's very untouched and has not been commercialised too much, she added. Next door, at the Marina Bay Takeaway, director George Chaliuma said, Where do I start? It's the size of the beach, 
its cleanliness, it's very spacious, it's nice and peaceful. This is what brings people here. The new boss at Coast Pizza, Kyriakos Kikis, better known as Kiki, said, It's a beautiful beach, a big open space, and it is actually quite clean as well. All the businesses all get along. We all love each other. It's like a family, he added. Further along the promenade, couples and families were walking or sitting on the benches overlooking the bay and long curving beach. Ronnie and Angela Carroll from Melton Mowbray said, It's always clean. There's no rubbish. It's a pleasant place to be and everybody is friendly in the shops. Ingrid and Les Barker, both in their 70s, had travelled from Oldham. It's very nice, said Mrs Barker. She was impressed that no dogs are allowed on the beach. We said since we couldn't get a holiday abroad that we'd have a holiday here and make the most of it, she added. Councillor Carl Smith, leader of Great Yarmouth Borough Council, said, We're extremely proud to see that Galston Beach has been awarded the Traveller's Choice Award 2020 by TripAdvisor. With its great range of facilities, distinctive atmosphere and miles of golden sands which are kept clean by our dedicated beach cleansing team, we are not surprised the popularity of this particular beach has risen, especially since its cameo in the Danny Boyle film yesterday. Man in his twenties dies after incident on river. A holidaymaker has died following an incident on the River Bure on Tuesday, September the 15th. Officers were called just after 2pm on Tuesday to help the ambulance service and coast guard after a man was injured on the River Bure at Clink Hill, West Caister. The man in his 20s from North Yorkshire was taken to the James Paget Hospital by rescue helicopter yesterday with serious injuries. According to Humber Coast Guard, he was in a critical condition. He was then transferred to Avonbrook's Hospital at Cambridge, where he died late last night. Officers attended the scene along with the Coast Guard, RNLI and the East of England Ambulance Service. According to Humber Coast Guard, they dispatched an indoor lifeboat Caster Rescue Helicopter and Helimed with teams from both Bacton and Galston. The Coast Guard said the incident itself took place one mile north of Great Yarmouth Yacht Station at Clink Hill, with police transferring the boat involved to the yacht station after the man had been transported to hospital. That's why there was so much police activity on the quay. A couple from Grimsby who were holidaying on the broads said it was chaos on the river for a while, while boats berthed two abreast while the river was closed and more coming in from the south. The broads authority, which had urged river traffic to moor elsewhere while the incident was dealt with, tweeted at just before 3.30pm that the river had reopened. Norfolk Police's Broadspeak Twitter account posted 
Thanks to all in attendance at today's incident on the River Bure near Great Yarmouth involving holidaymakers on a hire boat. The Coroner's Office and the Marine Accident Investigation Branch, MAIB, have been informed. Norfolk is liaising with the MMIB regarding a joint investigation. Holiday camp chalets to be remodelled as low-cost homes under new Pontins plan. The new owners of a derelict holiday camp have revealed their plans for hundreds of homes and holiday lets they say will bring the site back to life and boost the economy. Images of the proposed redevelopment of the former holiday site in Hemsby have been released as part of the full planning application submitted to Great Yarmouth Borough Council, the first since the site suddenly shut in December 2008. Work is already underway, clearing the site of the former Pontins holiday camp in Hemsby and refurbishing the chalets which will be remodelled as low-cost homes under the vision which aims to use as many of the remaining buildings as possible. At the heart of the complex will be a new community hub and leisure centre which retains the old pool but with added extras including a spa, gym, cafe and changing village. Almost all the residential units, mainly two and three bedroomed houses, will be upgraded chalet accommodation at the northern part of the site, while the holiday element comprising 91 units still accessed off Beach Road via the old camp entrance. According to Pine Developments, the proposal is an enhanced scheme beyond the aspirations of the outline approval. It says in a planning statement prepared by Parker Planning Services, the aim is to benefit tourism, the local community, and to provide much needed further housing in a way that transforms the site into a hub of social, leisure and recreational activities. The plan features 188 low-cost houses, down from 234, formed by refurbishment and adaptation to existing chalet stock. 91 holiday lets, up from 47, in nine refurbished chalet blocks, 53 units, and 33 new lodges. A convenience store, three retail units with flats above, community leisure centre and cafe around existing refurbished pool with added gym, spa and changing village. Welcome point for holidaymakers in existing building and new access off Kingsway. Elsewhere, the site will retain its parkland feel with enhanced landscaping, keeping most of the trees, hedgerows and green spaces. Papers submitted in support of the application say the development bid is an opportunity to create a sense of place and community in which people would be happy to live today and well into the future. They add, however, 
to achieve this, it should be borne in mind that the construction costs will very much need to be controlled. This drives the philosophy of retaining as many of the existing structures as possible to remodel and upgrade rather than to completely demolish and clear the site to start with brand new buildings throughout. Clearly, there is a lot more expense involved in clearing the site. Outline planning approval, granted in February, covers complete demolition and clearance of the full site. Well, I'm sure Hemsby people will be pleased if something does finally happen there. Thanks, Desney. We seem to have much duplication with names in Grapevine. For instance, more Margarets than you can shake a stick at. Although I would never dare to do such a thing to our dear ladies. And Drew is another example, and our regular online contributor of that name will be with us next week. This week, however, we welcome to Online Grapevine, one of our regulars until lockdown, Andy, who has recorded some more of his weird Norfolk stories, which we will bring you from time to time. And one follows now. Hello, this is Andy. And I have one of the weird Norfolk selection of stories. And this describes the haunting tale of a waxen man who is said to have sold his soul to the devil and how it's unearthed by his descendant down under. The wind roars across sodden marshland. The sea pounds a crumbling shore. And Sir Bernie Brograve, gasping for breath, clumsy with fear, staggers towards the sanctuary of his mill. Half falling into the darkness, he turns to slam the door in the devil's face. Outside the storm rages, and the devil is so desperate to snatch the soul he had been promised, that he kicks at the door with his cloven hooves, and howls his sulphurous breath at the building with such diabolical power that it lurches on its waterlogged foundations. Today, Brograve Mill still stands, gaunt against the swaying reeds and overarching sky in Waxham, on the northeast coast of Norfolk. And, some say, Sir Bernie still stumbles across the land he once owned, cursed by drink and the devil, driven half-mad by grief, fear and ill-fortune. The real-life history of a ghost who still haunts Norfolk legends is being revealed by his five times great-granddaughter. Cheryl Nicholl came across him, not in the wild and haunting landscape of the marshes and dunes around Waxham, but from three centuries and half a world away. She lives in New Zealand and was researching her family history when she happened upon his name. Knowing there were Brograves in her own family tree, she wondered whether there could be a link. I didn't really think there would be a notorious ghost in my family tree, she said. It was too little, too much to hope for, but nevertheless I was intrigued. And as she traced the life, death and legacy 
of the notorious Sir Bernie Brograve, she was thrilled to discover that he was her great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. She read tales of throats cut in the attic at Waxham Hall, fist fights with tradesmen over money, and her ancestor cowering all night in Brograve Mill as the devil pounded the door with his hooves. The devil bloomed even larger after Sir Bernie's death in 1797, said Cheryl. The stories are embroidered a little more with each retelling. Ghostly apparitions, bloodstains appearing on certain nights of the year at Waxham Hall, the old tyrant so bad that even the devil wanted out of the deal, afraid he would be overthrown as top dog in his fiery domain. When I first started researching, nearly everything I found about Sir Bernie was bad. He was a black-hearted man whose soul belonged to the devil. A reputation like that doesn't come free. You have to earn it. So I waded through all the tall stories in search of the real man. As she separated the myths from the man, a literally haunting story emerged and became her book, Sir Bernie Brograve, A Very Anxious Man. So what was it that this man, who terrified generations of Norfolk people, so feared? Three things in equal measure, said Cheryl. Firstly, the North Sea swallowing his estates. Secondly, a French invasion. Thirdly, smugglers. Among other things, they tormented and intimidated him with cannibals fired at his house at night, a false report of his death and setting fire to his property at Sea Pauling. Sir Bernie had inherited land and property from several wealthy relatives, and owned not only Waxham Hall, but also the manors of Horsey and Sea Pauling, where his coastal fields and dunes were frequently flooded and constantly eroded. Widowed twice, just four of his 17 children survived him. In two terrible days in 1793, he lost both his second wife and their 18-year-old son. The pattern of deaths matches the timing of the most severe flooding, said Cheryl. As flood water lay stagnant across the marshes, mosquitoes bred and they spread deadly malaria, then known as fen ague, across the region. In Worstead, where Sir Bernie had another mansion, which survived until the 1930s. There are memorials to him and both wives in the village church. Cheryl carried out almost all of her research via the internet and said, I found in the Norfolk archives a couple of letters actually written by a very nervous and perhaps rather drunk Sir Bernie, who otherwise left little in the way of a personal paper trail. Her great-grandfather emigrated to New Zealand in the 1880s and she lives near Christchurch but dreams of visiting Waxham and Norfolk one day. She would find Sir Bernie's manor house 
now a farmhouse, still enclosed within its beautiful high walls. Originally built in around 1570, it is close to the medieval church and the magnificent thatched waxen great barn. Cheryl, aged 61 and semi-retired, has won prizes for her short fiction and is also researching another branch of her family, linked to a manor house in Wiltshire, the Duke of Wellington and Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. I wrote Sir Bernie Brograve, a very anxious man, because there is no accurate information about his troubled life, said Cheryl. His contemporaries paint him as well-connected, but mean-spirited, dishevelled, hard-drinking. I wanted to discover what made him so bad-tempered, why he was so feared, and what caused so many premature deaths in his family. What I found is far more interesting than the folklore. I think he was born angry. He had such a short fuse. He alienated his siblings and peers at times when he most needed to keep them on side. The villagers were fearful and his drinking didn't help, but he had an awful lot to cope with. He didn't sleep well. Mother Nature made sure of that. With each inundation of his land by the North Sea, his world darkened. Smugglers fired cannonballs at his house at night. The French threatened to invade. Racked by disease, death, squandered inheritance and suicide, eventually the house of Brograve came crashing down. Cheryl's favourite of the ancestors who emerged from her research was Sir Bernie's kindly grandson, George. He was the son of Sir Bernie's daughter Anne and Sir John Rye, who went on to found the Shipwreck Fisherman and Mariner's Royal Benevolent Society, which still exists today. Cheryl doesn't believe in ghosts, but if she met Sir Bernie, terrified and terrifying, on a wild and stormy night, what would she say to him? Abandon Woxham, get your family to Worstead, high and dry. But I would also offer my heartfelt sympathies for all the tragedies he endured. I really did feel sorry for him at the end. Many thanks, Andy, and we look forward to more in the weeks to come. More local news now with Desney. Primark boost to High Street as former Debenham store is taken over. A former department store is set to be used by artists as a place for work and to exhibit. The takeover is being staged by Original Projects and will see Debenhams in Market Gates reopen as workshop, gallery and exhibition space. In a play on words said to celebrate brilliance, and the name given to Yarmouth's residence. The project's title, Primark, also tips its hat towards budget retailer Primark, seen by some as the answer to all the town's shopping woes. And like its near namesake, the hope is that Primark will boost the high street. The charity's managers, Jules Devonshire and Carvus Clayton, aim to officially open the unit 
on Saturday, September the 26th, as town centres across the country adapt to changing times. To celebrate the opening, a live performance and film screening will be taking place by Yarmonics, a local sonic arts improvisational band. Mr Clayton, 48, said that he hoped Primark would be a step in repurposing the declining high street. He said, this is all part of an ongoing aspiration to work with Great Yarmouth and reanimate the town centre during changing times. Primark's mission is to provide new opportunities for visitors and residents to experience the personality of the place, as well as produce and exchange in innovative and adaptive ways. The new venture follows original projects previous occupancy of the former M&S building in the town centre. That space, called X Marks the Spot, welcomed over 6,000 visitors in its seven-month opening, as well as hosting original pieces from local and international artists. The charity has won support from Aviva's Community Fund, and with enough funding plans to set up a community design studio introducing younger residents to art and design, as well as assisting them in creating design solutions to real-world problems like designing interactive bins to tackle ongoing litter issues in the town. Debenhams closed in January. It was one of more than 40 in the chain to close in the last year following an announcement in April 2019 that 22 of the worst performing stores would shut permanently. The news was greeted with sadness in the town, compounded by the loss of Palmer's Beals, which closed in March. New design for market, following concerns over impact. The £3.5 million redevelopment of Great Yarmouth's six-day marketplace could take another step forward this week as the plan is discussed by the Borough Council. A report to the Authorities Development Control Committee meeting on Wednesday, September the 16th, states architects have redrafted the plans following consultation with Historic England, which had raised concerns over the impact of the original designs on the character of the marketplace. The new wood and steel structure, home to 30 stallholders, will be built slightly north of the current location and the report states the adjustments would better reflect the buildings that surround the market. This is after Historic England had said the proposal could significantly change the character of the marketplace and the appreciation of this important space. Each stall will have its own steel canopy for shelter and security and overall the building will be higher, while seating and open space for pop-ups and displays are included in the blueprint. Consultation has also drawn responses from market traders concerned about loss of business while the renovation goes ahead, and they continue to deal with the effects to the coronavirus restrictions. 
There are also concerns regarding the location of where the two-day market is to be relocated. Another response states proposal is a one-size-fits-all solution which destroys the community feel and creates a sterile environment. Planning officers say the plan would form a central and vibrant part of the economic and visual enhancement of the town centre, compatible with its historic surrounds, and is aimed at creating a more pleasing retail environment for both customers and retailers. According to the documents, the town's marketplace is one of the largest in Britain, with a history dating back more than 800 years, while the existing covered market was opened in 1992 with a 25-year lifetime. The report states that the roof canopy is in a poor condition. Planning officials recommend that councillors approve the plan subject to consideration of the new design. Red tide of seaweed washes up on Norfolk beaches. A large wash-up of seaweed has created a red tide along some of Norfolk's most popular holiday beaches. The thick matted layer, which gives off an unpleasant smell as it rots and attracts insects, confronted beachgoers at the weekend, making some parts of the shore off-limits to bathers. At Winterton, there was a particularly thick mat on the tide line on Sunday. Dr Ben Garrod, Professor of Evolutionary Biology from the University of East Anglia, said there was likely a whole host of reasons for the accumulation. He said large stretches of coastline can periodically become covered in different species of seaweed across different parts of the year. There are a whole host of reasons for these wash-ups, including large storms out to sea, effects of pollution, and even just seasonal changes in weather. Lots of these red species are typically found out on shallow reefs within the North Sea and attached to piers and other submerged structures. It's most likely that this seaweed wash-up resulted from a storm out to sea or even just the result of some strong currents and tides offshore. Every couple of years we seem to get a large amount of this colourful yet pungent marine algae washing up on our Norfolk jaws. Kieran Copland, curator of Hunstanton and Great Yarmouth Sea Life Centres, said good weather over the summer could have helped the seaweed to flourish. He said... The massing was likely the result of some rough weather dislodging the seaweed from the seabed, adding, with the nice summer we've had and good weather, that will have helped it grow well. Mr Garrett added the seaweed was an important part of the ecosystem and that it could be gathered up and used as fertiliser or biofuel. In a statement, Great Yarmouth Borough Council said an increased volume of seaweed being washed up was normally due to the weather conditions out to sea. It added, at present, no environmental services action is required. However, 
we will continue to monitor the situation and review if necessary. New arrivals at popular Norfolk Zoo. A popular Norfolk attraction is celebrating a top double. Thrigby Hall Wildlife Gardens is welcoming its newest arrivals after two snow leopard cubs and two rare red panda cubs were born. The popular zoo near Great Yarmouth has unveiled the cute new additions which were born during lockdown. As yet, they've not been named, but Scott Bird, zoological director at the popular attraction, said staff were extremely pleased and privileged to host the new, rare recruits. While the red panda may be familiar to regular visitors at Thrigby, the arrival of a new cub is a first in some 20 years. Mr Bird said two female red pandas were born in early July after a gestation period of about 130 days. They were born at Thrigby to parents Bamba, who was born at J Dublin Zoo in June 2011 and arrived to us in April 2012, and Dan Inia, who was born at Colchester Zoo in June 2018 and arrived with us in April 2019. The International Union for Conservation of Nature, IUCN, states the red pandas are listed as endangered, so it is wonderful news to be able to say that we have bred red pandas again, the first for around 20 years at Thrigby. With snow leopards Nima and Moen having successfully raised two male cubs, called Jamir and Jamal, in 2015, and with the cubs subsequently moving on from Thrigby as part of the European breeding programme, Mr Bird added, for the snow leopards and parents Nima and Moen, this is their third litter, with previous cubs having already moved to other European collections as part of the European Endangered Breeding Programme. They were born on July the 8th and we have one male and one female. The gestation period is about 101 days and so far the snow leopard cubs are unnamed. Numbers in the wild could be as low as 4,000 and still under many pressures to their numbers, mainly man-made or induced. Mr Bird added, the snow leopards have now been visible for a few weeks and the red pandas are only just starting to show themselves. Both are being met with excitement, with visitors saying how fantastic it is seeing these beautiful animals at close quarters. The team at Thrigby are extremely pleased and privileged to be hosting these births, especially as the red pandas were a total surprise and not expected at all. Well, that's good news for Thrigby. Emotional Tractor Run pays tribute to a true farming gentleman. A spectacular tractor tribute to true farming gentleman Greg Anderson took place along the back roads of East Norfolk 
raising more than £6,000 for a mental health charity. The tractor run was held in memory of Mr Anderson, aged 58, from Lessingham, who died in a car accident near Stalham on August the 14th. Sunday's event included around 240 friends, family and farmers, as well as around 100 tractors, classic cars and vintage vehicles, which met at Hurst's Mega Maze at Hemsby before leaving on an 11-mile run through the neighbouring villages in Martham, Philby and the Flegs. Mr Anderson's brother-in-law, Richard Hurst, addressed the socially distanced gathering and spoke of the tragic loss of a true farming gentleman. After the event, Mr Anderson's younger son, Michael, said more than £6,000 had already been raised for Norfolk-based rural mental health charity Yana, You Are Not Alone. He added that he, his brother James, and his mother Diana had greatly appreciated the words of comfort from the farming community and the public's generosity for the charity. The support that we got from the farming community has been incredible, he said. People had come from all over the country and so many people came up and shared memories of him. It was a really happy, positive day. It was really emotional sight seeing this long line of tractors with lights flashing and people smiling and tooting their horns. It was really special. It was such a nice way to remember him. It is nice that something positive has come out of this and brought so many people together and raised so much money for Yana, which was a charity which my father recognised was really important. He did suffer from periods of poor mental health throughout his life and he thought this was a really crucial charity to support people like him in the farming community. We initially thought £3,000 was a hopeful target but to get more than 6,000 is incredible. We are grateful to everyone for their generosity. It has blown our expectations out of the water and I'm sure Dad would have been proud of everyone. The convoy also featured classic cars, including a 1937 Lagonda and Tom and Abby Collar's 1962 Ford Anglia on its first outing for 18 years from the Pertwee and Back showroom. A massive 20-tonne breakdown lorry and a 1946 five-tonne Bedford lorry driven by Alan Beck of Brunstead near Stalham also joined the convoy, as well as the Haysborough Honeycart. That's a bit of Norfolk history for you. Last part of the news very shortly, but not before Desney mulls over what's happening on the old goggle box. Let's just have a quick look at what we've been enjoying on television this week and what might be coming up at the weekend. It seems that a lot of programmes have finally started filming again, so we aren't seeing quite so many repeats. The top soaps... Some of them are running back up to five or six episodes a week. 
and some of our old favourites are about to begin. In the run-up to the 2020 series of Strictly Come Dancing, which is usually underway by now, Tess and Claudia, together with the judges, professional dancers and some special celebrity guests, will be sharing memories of some of the movie night episodes of Strictly over the years. Strictly won't be quite the same this year, with Covid security meaning that we won't be seeing the big audiences we're used to. They do plan to have an audience, however, but exactly how they plan to get round that one remains to be seen. Maybe they'll give us some idea on Saturday. That's a Saturday at 7.30 on BBC One. The semi-finals of Britain's Got Talent continue with their virtual audience screen. Soon it'll be the finals. But the big programme starting again next week, which I think began filming before the lockdown, but didn't finish, so the later episodes may be a bit different. The Great British Bake Off starts on Tuesday on Channel 4 at 8pm with Matt Lucas replacing Sandy Toxvig but we still have the same presenters as last year. Noel Fielding was the other one who presented with Sandy Toxvig. It would be Noel Fielding and Matt Lucas along with the judges Prue Leith and Paul Hollywood. And that's the highlights. Till next time. Bye. OK, Disney will just take a deep breath and give us the final part of this week's news. Book club for visually impaired literature lovers shifts online. Norfolk's visually impaired book lovers are being invited to share their enthusiasm for literature by taking part in a series of monthly virtual audio book clubs being run by the county's sight loss charity. Before the Covid crisis started, Vision Norfolk ran regular audio book clubs in libraries around the county. These are now taking place on Zoom and new members are being invited to join. Members are supplied with the month's audio book on a CD or USB stick and can then take part in an informal discussion about the book online. Mark Smith Community Activities Manager at Vision Norfolk, formerly the Norfolk and Norwich Association for the Blind, said the audio book clubs have been part of our activities for some years, allowing visually impaired literature lovers to come together and enjoy each other's company as they discuss the month's book. Obviously, we haven't been able to get together in person during the coronavirus crisis, but the groups have continued to meet online. Being visually impaired can be isolating at the best of times and particularly so during the current crisis. The book club gives visually impaired people the opportunity to get together and share a common interest. Clubs taking place are Cromer, Deerham, Fakenham, Thetford, Norwich on the second Monday of each month with the next meeting on October the 12th from 1.30 till 3 and Dis on the fourth Friday of each month and the next meeting is September the 25th from 2pm to 3.30. Membership is free thanks to Norfolk County Council funding and new members are welcome to join any of the clubs 
but by choosing the one closest to them, they will be better placed to take part when the clubs are once again able to meet in person. Anyone interested in taking part, no matter the extent of their sight loss, can contact Mark Smith on 01603 973216 or via email at So, although there is not one that's directly related to Yarmouth, you're welcome to join the others because, as you heard, you will be sent a USB stick or a CD, depending on your preference. A staggering amount of money, charity hails biggest ever private donation. A charity has received the largest private donation in its history, a cheque for a staggering £40,000. Beckles-based building contractors, Overmill, said the donation to Great Yarmouth's Centre 81 was in recognition of the charity's work for disabled and disadvantaged people during the pandemic and throughout its 39-year history. Mark Everard, company director, said successful companies should feel a moral duty to support charities like Centre 81 and other organisations that played roles in their communities. He said a great many people would be lost without the work of Centre 81 and its amazing staff, and we are delighted to support them. Diana Staines, Centre 81's Chief Executive, said, This is a staggering amount of money for a charity like ours to receive, and every single penny will be put to good use. It makes us feel truly appreciated and I can't thank Mark and his colleagues enough for their huge generosity. Receiving a donation of this magnitude has made us all feel valued and, indeed, quite emotional at such a difficult time. Mr Everard said COVID-19 has been a life-changing experience for people, but for most of us it hasn't been life-threatening. This is not the case for many of the vulnerable people who use Centre 81 Skills and Activities Centre and Community Transport Service, lots of whom have suffered from terrible isolation and anxiety while they've been shielding. This is our chance to do something that we know will make a real difference. This is a time for successful companies to show their support for charities, sports clubs, youth groups and other local organisations, many of them run by volunteers. And I would urge them to do it, as a donation of any size is not just a source of financial help, but an important show of support and appreciation. Ms Stain said, Donations from companies are an incredible boost to the morale of our members, staff, volunteers and trustees. They show that the charity sector isn't forgotten. Based in Tarworks Road, Centre 81 runs a Skills and Activities Centre 
for more than 70 disabled people and a fleet of 11 fully accessible minibuses providing a community transport service for more than 700 people. The charity, formed in 1981, employs 45 people and has 25 volunteers. Spiteful retaliation. Hotel accused of planting tall trees to take away residents' view. Neighbours of a coastal hotel say they are disgusted at its attempt to take away their view by planting trees behind their garden fence. Residents of Grenfell Court's Over 55's Housing Association, who live next to Galston's Cliff Hotel, came home on September the 7th to find a dense row of newly planted hedges at the bottom of their garden. According to Grenfell Court resident Lillian Eifert, 87, this is an act of spiteful retaliation by the Cliff Hotel. It's disgusting. We objected to their cabin proposals and they didn't like it, so now they're taking away our view. You spend your early years suffering through a war and your final years putting up with this nonsense. The hotel submitted an application to Great Yarmouth Borough Council on July the 3rd to build seven garden cabins overlooking the sea, but announced via their Facebook page that they were withdrawing the plans following opposition. Instead, they said they would build a garden terrace for which they already have planning permission. But, according to Great Yarmouth Borough Council, consent for a conservatory extension and roof terrace at 14 to 18 Lower Esplanade, Galston, granted in 2016 as part of a change of use application, cannot simply be carried over. They said planning applications are site-specific and it would not allow a terrace on a separate area of land that is the subject of the Cliff Hotel's most recent application. The Council did, however, say there was no specific high hedge legislation which would enable them to intervene with the hotel's tree planting. For Lillian Warman, who is 84 and terminally ill, residents rely on the view to keep them going, she said. The trees have already blocked the view for ground floor residents, but soon none of us will be able to see out over the cliffs. Betty Knott, 83, said that her biggest fear was what the hotel would do next. She said the hotel originally cleared the trees to give us this view, that's true. But they did that for their terrace guests who wanted to look out over the sea, not for our benefit. It's very clear that since they say they gave us it, they feel it's their prerogative to take it away. My worry is what they've got planned for us next. Dennis Body, 58, said his older friends at Grenfell Court, some of whom are over 90, did not deserve this treatment from the hotel. He said it's making them upset, frustrated and anxious and the hotel needs to see that. In response to the accusations, the Cliff Hotel said it did not 
want to comment. Man had drugs in TikTok sweet box in the park. A man found with wraps of heroin and cocaine in a sweet box had been selling drugs to support his family, a court has heard. Virginitus Stepanovicius had come to the UK from his native Lithuania since 2013, but was on a modest income and became involved in drug dealing to support his family. Norwich Crown Court heard that on January the 15th this year, plainclothes police officers were observing a park in Great Yarmouth as part of an ongoing County Lines drugs operation. Stephen Spence, prosecuting, said officers noted a group of known drug users gathering together when the defendant arrived on a bicycle and was surrounded by the group. Mr Spence said items were seen to be passed between the group and the defendant and police were dispatched to the scene. Stepanovicius was detained and found to have wraps of cocaine and heroin on him in a tic-tac sweet box. He was also found to have about £240 in cash and a mobile phone. The defendant was interviewed and made full admissions to officers. Stepanovitius of Melrose Terrace, Yarmouth, appeared at court on Monday for sentence, having previously admitted two counts of possession with intent to supply Class A drugs. Sentencing Stepanovitius to a total of 32 months imprisonment, recorder John Bate Williams said, Hard drugs are the curse of our times, and every day, every court in this country, and probably in your home country, sees good lives ruined, and I mean ruined, by drugs. That's why the penalties are so harsh. Recorder Bate Williams added that if it had been simple madness for the defendant to have got involved, and added those who sell Class A drugs can only expect immediate prison sentences. Oliver Haswell, mitigating, said this case can be distinguished from others given the candour and honesty he had shown, his full and frank admissions and remorse. Mr Haswell said he came to the UK from Lithuania in 2013 but had a modest income and had been trying to support his partner and four children. The court was told he did what he did to subsidise his family and was mortified he was here today. Mr Haswell said the offences were not committed out of greed but rather out of necessity in that he was just trying to support his family. Village Homes plans deferred after claims of disruption, anxiety and stress to residents. Proposals to build 33 homes with a new access road and public open spaces off Foster Close in Ormsby St Margaret were submitted to Great Yarmouth Borough Council for planning permission. But after residents told of the impact they feared proposals would have on them, 
councillors agreed to defer the plans. During a planning committee meeting held on Wednesday, September the 16th, Julie Kosari, who lives in the village, said, We have residents in our road who have lived quite contentedly here for decades, and now they're selling up and moving away. This is disrupting their lives and uprooting themselves from their beloved lives, homes, friends and family and community. The proposed development is causing no end of anxiety and stress to everybody here. Our well-being will be shattered. Construction will bring thousands of HGVs, making it hazardous for our children on their way to school. Land around our villages is being grabbed and developed at an alarming rate. Is profit more important to you? The Parish Council also said there were serious concerns over highways, access and safety. Labour Councillor Tony Wright said, Sometimes you have to say enough is enough and we have to stand up for that. There are concerns from the residents. This is outside the planning area. There are concerns for wildlife and questions as far as highways are concerned. And Geoffrey Freeman, Conservative councillor for Ormsby, said, We would like to get an application we can support. I would support that this application is deferred so we can reassure residents. But Labour group leader Trevor Wainwright said, Could we add a condition saying something has to be done within 12 months? We do need two-bedroomed houses all across the borough. Could we negotiate with the developer? We owe something to these young people from the villages. Planning Committee Chairman Carl Freeman said, We should defer so we can get more details and look at it properly. There are some unanswered questions. Councillors voted in favour of deferral, with two votes against. Man gets Will You Marry Me tattoo. So what was his girlfriend's answer? A man surprised his girlfriend with a tattoo on his chest that asked, Will you marry me? Bruno Neves, 33, who lives in Great Yarmouth, had decided to propose to Patricia Collado, 34, but he wanted to do something special. I was really wanting to do something unique. I thought about going to the beach. I was thinking about the waterfalls in Yorkshire where we've been before but I'd always wanted to do something different and I never saw anyone propose with a tattoo. So I thought, let's do that. On Thursday, September the 10th, he took Miss Collado to Sailor's Grave Tattoo Studio, where he's a regular on High Street in Galston. He'd already spoken with the tattooist, Aaron Adams, better known as Kong, and they had decided the tattoo written on his chest would include the famous question, as well as two tick boxes marked yes and no. While Mr Adams worked on the tattoo, Miss Collado sat in the waiting room, unaware of what was about to happen. Mr Neves said, I was feeling that she would say yes, because I've said before to her that I want to stay with her for the rest of our lives. Mr Adams suggested covering the tattoo with a large plaster before returning to the waiting room and revealing the proposal 
to his unsuspecting partner. When she saw the tattoo, she was speechless, Mr Neves said. Mr Adams then handed her a pen, which she used to put a tick in the box marked yes, before the tattooist traced over the tick with his tattoo pen, making it permanent. The couple, who live in Great Yarmouth, met online a year and a half ago. We got a big surprise that we live less than ten doors away from each other, Mr Neves said, and things got better and better. That's all we have for you for this particular edition of Grapevine. Grapevine, Volume 40, Number 38, is copyright 2020 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The content, in the main, is adapted from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. As I mentioned earlier, Andrew will be your newsreader next week when we hope that you will join us once again. So from Desney, Andy and myself, it's bye for now, have a great week and keep well and safe. Mm -hmm.